Hello and welcome to another episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon and with me as always are my co-hosts Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hey Simon. Hey Simon. On today's episode we will mainly be discussing the latest uh, politics in America and drinking alcohol. Uh, This is our first ever drinking on a Friday night during a pandemic and podcasting episode so uh, (laughs) let's see how this new adventure goes for us. Uh, and uh, in the spirit of um, googling the news and drinking, uh, Vaughn, I think you're going to kind of start us off a bit by uh, delving into the the books that you've been uh, re- reading recently. Most uh, most specifically, the president is missing, written by Bill Clinton. Uh, the listeners might have uh, picked up on this in the last couple of episodes that uh, there was a, a fascinating book released a few years ago by Mr. Clinton. And Vaughn, you've actually started reading it now. I have, and. Like, I have to say, I'm about a quarter of the way through it, and I'm, like, really enjoying it. And I wasn't expecting to <laughs> at all. I don't think anyone was expecting that. I Yeah, it's it's really, it is literally a page-turner. Um, but kind of, like, introducing you guys to the book. So for a brief kind of synopsis, um, the book opens with a mock session of, an, of impeachment inquiries by the Speaker of the House questioning the president, Jonathan Lincoln Duncan, in this book. Um, A great name, absolutely. Yeah, Bill Clinton really tried hard on that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) President Duncan uh, is being investigated for actions that he took in the interest of national security to counter an attack on a wanted terrorist by an anti-Russia militia group um, who intended to kill the terrorist Suleiman Sindorak. Right. So he's like the main villain in all of this. He's he's this very wanted criminal terrorist um, that the whole world is kind of foco- uh, focusing on. And the U.S. seemingly took these actions to allegedly protect um, the terrorist. So this like counterattack was set in Algeria, where the anti-Russia militia group. Um, tracked down Suleiman Sindorak uh, to his kind of headquarters in Algeria. And the attack allowed him to escape. Uh, it also killed one American CIA operative um, in, in the kind of melee. And this, this counterattack was meant, as Duncan like later explains in a careful kind of secrecy talk to the speaker um, within the Oval Office, it was meant to capture the terrorist alive because there's a, allegedly a more imminent threat that's looming for the U.S. And the president has reason to believe that Sindorak is the only person who can stop the impending terrorist threat. So news of this covert operation leaked when the terrorist group uploaded a video of the CIA allegedly protecting the terrorist organization against the militia. Um, And it prompted these investigations of the president for treason in cooperating with the terrorists. The the mother of the fallen operative um, did like interview after interview claiming the life of her son was taken in the interest of protecting the enemy and demanding the president take responsibility for his actions. Um, 
I've just come up to the part when the president does assumedly go missing. Um, he's said goodbye to his closest counsel, and he's leaving the White House in secrecy uh, to meet with this mysterious young woman who has given him reason to believe that she can stop the larger threat to the U.S. Um, that he's that he's just so consumed with. So, as I said, it's been really good so far. It's been a riveting read. I'm really enjoying it. Um, but there are two things that I that I really want to talk about in relation to the book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, President Duncan is exactly what I picture when I hear the word presidential. Right. Um, I wouldn't say that he's a very Bill Clinton type because there are questionable things about seeing Bill Clinton as quote unquote presidential, but he's not a farce and Mm -hmm. he didn't claim bone spurs when war came around (laughs) and he respects the values of the U S. Hey, Toby was genuinely injured. Okay. (laughs) 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 <laughs> I, I have uh, in this scenario I had a very rich father who got someone uh, Mexican to do it for him. <laughs> sorry Vaughn on you go oh no you're grand so so President Duncan he he like prizes patriotism not nationalism specifically not nationalism mm-hmm. um, over all other things in his line of work and he's aging, he has a chronic illness. His wife being the first lady, um, Rachel, she died of cancer while while he was in office. So she died in the White House. Um, he's a war hero. He was a POW um, from Desert Storm and he was captured by terrorists in Iraq and tortured worse than any other captive for refusing to denounce the United States on camera. Um, he's, he's just a very, man he's he's a man of very admirable moral strength and in one passage this really comes out the president is poised with a time sensitive decision there are these two high value terrorists from different countries and they're plotting in a building um in i believe saudi arabia and one of these terrorists has brought his seven children ages between two and 16 years old as a shield knowing that the president wouldn't want to take any kind of violent action he would rather take the compassionate route and not harm the innocent children so there's this 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 inner turmoil that he's experiencing in trying to process his personal moral righteousness about sentencing these seven children to death. Um, And then also his duty as the president, as someone who is on the platform in this place of control and power to prevent possibly uh, more deaths resulting from this meeting of these two high values terrorists. So there's there's a lot of inner turmoil in this passage. Um, Whether he should authorize the missile strike or spare the terrorists and let news go round that if you bring your children, the U.S. won't strike. So in the end, he justifies the attack. And he carries the names of the seven children on a note with him, thinking about the decision he was forced to make in the interest of the greater good. And from all of this, and from the first, however much of the book, first quarter of the book, 
it's just very clear that President Duncan represents, as he even says, an old traditional patriotism. And it's refreshing and a bit emotional to read. Just such a powerful, personable, even sassy and funny at times American president with morals and military and political credentials to actually be a merciful and strong commander in chief. Do you guys have any thoughts that you want to throw out there about that? Yeah, it really sounds like uh, Pete Buttigieg would have made a great president. <laughs> I think there's self-sacrifice possible in there. I don't think that's Pete's style. I think uh, I think what kind of comes across from your your description is the horror of being elected president rather than the horror of losing an election because the decisions you've got to make and the sacrifice you've got to be willing to give, unless you're President Trump. But, you know... <laughs> The kind of this idea of a personal toll of making decisions that will haunt you, and if they're not being a well, if there is a right decision, then it's very hard to see, as it were. Um, you know, there's you know, left wing commentators are always going to have you know more left wing views than maybe centrist, but this idea that basically all Americans are war criminals up to a certain point. Even take someone like Obama with like the airstrikes and the, from the drones, etc., and all the countless people he killed. And there, I think there's an element that even like the good a president, as it were, is being elected to the head of a the most powerful you know army and nation ever conceived by man. And some of the things that happen uh, with a stroke of a pen or you know a phone call made by a president is not really someone not really something that anyone should be making, as it were, you know, making a decision whether or not seven people you've never met before are going to live or die is quite horrific. And it, it, to me, just from that initial description, I think it it seems as if part of the story they're trying to get across is the, the hardship and uh, difficulty of being a president. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think um, he seems to be going through like personal moral uh, turmoil because of the the gravity of the decisions he's having to make but then he seems to be the kind of sort of man that readers are happy to have make these kinds of decisions so i, I although you know i mean there's a, a critique to be had that no one should be making these kinds of decisions and i i'd probably be, be there with you <laughs> all of the american presidents uh, as a requisite of the the job are basically war criminals in in, in some sense, right? Yeah. But then the book seems to be getting out that actually, you know, it's like the president is missing, but um, an actual president would be someone with the the moral clarity, someone who 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 can who can um, take in these difficult decisions, understand that there's you know grays in them, but is in himself capable of making these decisions and capable of making the right decisions, I think. And I think, so for me, it's it's sort of, it's a, a validation of, of the, the institution of the presidency in, in that way. Vaughn, do you think it's different for you reading this now than if you'd read it, you know, maybe at the same age, but Obama was in charge or something like that? Do you think having the contrast of someone like Trump who's so against kind of what, 
what we envision the American ideals of a of a president should be. Do you, do you think that kind of focuses the, the the mind and kind of sharpens the focus on the president that's being told in this book? I I think it really does. Um, especially with kind of recent news going on and the callousness and of just the way that he lies about genuine things that are killing people. Um, reading this president, I'm like, I want him right now during mm -hmm. coronavirus. Like, I don't want, I don't want the one that we have. Um, but just for like deeper context of this passage, um, I'll read out a couple of the lines. He says it in his like inner monologue, um, he's trying to justify this attack. And he says, it's my choice. They live or they die based on my choice. How do I meet my maker one day and justify their deaths? It's not semantics. If you pass on this, you're rewarding them for their cowardly tactics. But that doesn't matter. Seven innocent children are what matters. Is that what the United States stands for? And then later on, he says, I take one more moment and whisper a prayer. I pray for those children. I pray that one day no president will have to make a decision like this. And then he says, God help us. You have my author authorization to strike. And just reading that kind of... Wait, wait, wait. So he makes an authorization to strike. Um, it's, a sort of, it's a high value target that he's going after, right? It's two. Two high value targets. But it, within this, there are some children in the crosshairs. Yes. And so he, he makes the decision to strike even though the children are there. Yes. Interesting. And he knows that he is killing the children because they're they're in an elementary school. Um, it's empty of anyone else. It's just the two high value targets and the seven children of one of them. Um, so he's very aware that there's there's no way to kind of separate the groups. And he tries multiple times. He's in the situation room. It's like a 10-page chapter of, can we try this? Can we try that? And his lead generals and counsel say, no, we can't. We can't just shoot or just fire on one when they part ways. Because then the other will know that we didn't do it because you brought your children. And we can't pray that a missile attack will not devastate the whole building and all of the inhabitants thereof. Um, so he tries all of the kind of options that might be there and none of them work, um, none of them would work. And he ultimately agrees with himself that, or justifies within himself that if he doesn't take this opportunity to kill both of them, then whatever they're plotting in this moment may kill more than seven innocent children. Wait, so what were they plotting? They don't know. Do you get a feeling there's maybe a sort of sense of sort of reflective self-therapy that maybe Clinton is kind of going through as, as he writes or contributes to this book, maybe in some decisions he's had to make or maybe... Yeah, Serbia, Kosovo, shit like that. I, I think he definitely is. Um, but at the beginning of the book, in the dedications, he says, one of the dedications, it's, it's dedicated to a lot of people, but one of them is to Hillary Clinton, who, was, who has lived with and worked against this threat and the consequences of unheeded warnings. 
for her constant encouragement and reminders to keep it real. So I think the the kind of attack that is in Algeria that the president is facing, I think that's kind of a pseudo Benghazi. Mm. Um, it's the details of it haven't really been expanded too much beyond the the video of it was leaked by the terrorist organization. And it was supposed to be just a quiet kind of CIA operation that nobody was supposed to know about. Um, and because it was leaked on social media, it became viral. And then the mother saw that that was her son in the video and she, the media flocked to her, which is something that I want to talk in this, uh, talk about in the second half of this. Um, which maybe yeah. Can... So it, it really seems like, I mean, I think that, um, the impression is that uh, leaders who are good and uh, morally sort of, um, I mean, more who have some moral strength are going to have these um, things happen to them. They're going to be watching with the uh, the, the joint chiefs of the, of the army and things like that, and they're going to be like, "This is a, you know, this is like roles. This is like." Um, more, there's like high moral philosophy that the that the president has to go into, and and um, so how am I gonna you know how am I gonna do this instead of say Trump being like uh, let's just kill uh, Baghdadi let's, let's kill him let's blow let's blow shit up let's let's they should die I hate them they should and um, I mean in, on some level like I can see why this is. Um, this would be interesting for people, and you know, I could see why they they would want this idealistic um, president. And and, and I, you know, to, be, to to some extent, I think you know, um, Obama and Clinton, you know, both of them are sort of road scholarish people that, and right. they probably and, and you know, they they do have a moral center to, um, and they they would sort of go through some of these kinds of permutations. But for me, like. The premises of this, like, are, I mean, it, within within the book itself. I mean, if if the the attack or the, the plot is defensive, that's fine. But I mean, personally, I feel that a lot of the the aggression from the Middle East is something that the Americans created themselves, and um, there's every chance that those those two terrorists are the people who've experienced um you know the fallout of american weaponry that created the you know, mujahideen or the the, the you know the, the debris of uh, iraq and afghanistan and then you know have genuine um <laughs> reasons to be mad at america to be honest yeah. so is the, so i assume this is a set in modern times against the sort of semi-realistic setting of this world in the sense that you know there was a 9-11 in this world there was i assume a president bush perhaps i don't know i don't know if there would be an obama in this world do, do you guess is there any sort of sense of place just how how close to reality the political setting is done uh done in the book it it is very close right. um i don't i think this character is meant to be an obama figure Right. In a way, because the president before him was conservative. Yep. Um, and he is from, quote, the opposite party. They're really careful in the book to not say Republican or Democrat. They use conservative and not conservative. I don't think I've read liberal once. 
um, which is a just an interesting thing to flag up. Um, and 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 before you get into the media, this yeah. is also interesting. Like, does the the do two different political camps? Do they have different views on on these kinds of things within the novel? They absolutely do. Um, there's. So the the conservatives um, aren't privy to any of this information because there are no really high-ranking um, conservatives in the clearances, the security clearances, to know about specifically like this attack with the children. Um, the president also takes executive privilege with the Algeria attack and says, I can't tell you why this happened. Um, he discloses some of it to the speaker in an attempt to persuade him to put off these impeachment inquiries um, because there's this looming threat of a terrorist attack on the U.S. And he's like, your, your investigation is going to kill us if I am busy trying to persuade you that I'm not committing treason if you just trust me that I have a good reason for why I allegedly defended this terrorist, then, then we can, we can try and like, we can still do your investigations later. That's fine. But I need you to buy me time because there is this threat that you are not allowed to know about. And the speaker has this moment of, this kind of lucid moment, this like human moment where he trusts him and he believes him. And then he snaps out of it and goes, responds with, I have to go back to my caucus and I cannot tell them that I just trusted you after I've made a fool of you by launching these investigations. Um, so there's that kind of power dynamic of, of caring more about what people think of the politician rather than caring about what happens through this policy or what happens through an alleged attack. It's, it's very partisan um, and very self-interested in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. Um, they're not painting conservatives very well. I can say that. The conservatives are just hell-bent on vilifying this, this president. And because it's written from the president's uh, point of view, you get this... You, you, it's it's an emotional kind of connection that you have with the president. You're in his thoughts. You're you're in the room with him when he looks at the last picture that he took of his wife before she died of cancer a week later. And you're with him when he's with his personal doctor talking to her about his chronic illness. And you you just you see the emotional turmoil that he's having with this attack on the children. So you get much more of an emotional connection to him and you want him to be the good guy. Um, or at least I want him to be the good guy. <laughs> and um, I don't know if I've even answered, answered your question. But... No, no, you answered it really with the, the example of the speaker. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that... that... That does uh, seem quite interesting. Like, um, I suppose the the sort of broader 
uh, context for for things like that is the fact that I mean the the Democrats and Republicans have been um, very partisan um, probably I mean probably since contract with America and um, yeah I, I guess um, the hope that uh, Bill Clinton has when when he's writing something like that is that actually there can be this it's it's what Obama said you know he hopes that the fever will break I think is the word he uses there's going to be these moments these like sunbursts where people realize that actually there are you know someone is convinced by someone's argument even though it's it doesn't gain them political power or something like that and they can come together in a coalition and actually push or they can see that policy is credible and, and right and then work together on it but because of the the, the the broader partisan period that we've been in things like that really can't happen I guess is, is the is the thing that the bill's trying to trying to articulate I I do think so a little bit. There, there are two things that I that I want to say here. Um, circling back a little bit, they do link to each other and what you just said. But circling back a little bit to what you said earlier that um, that the terrorists that they were targeting may very well have been victims of American terrorism in the Middle East, um, and the president says that this would be significant, but significant is a relative term. Um, He says, quote, these men will be replaced. And depending how many innocents we kill, we may create more future terrorists in their wake than than more future terrorists in their wake than we kill right now. Um, And that's part of his whole deliberation is what is the after effect of killing these people? are we just going to worsen the problem that there is there? And do those future terrorists end up killing more people than we are saving by only killing seven people now? Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very complex moral dilemma that he's facing. Um, and I think it's explicated very well in that they, they do go through all of these these kind of scenarios of what will happen if you make any certain decision. Um, And in that, and tying back, I have to say that because he's a POW, I immediately linked him to John McCain. Yeah. And I'm getting a lot of John McCain vibes out of this. Um, It's my personal opinion, which may not be popular, but it's my personal opinion that John McCain was a man of of admirable admirable morality, um, much like this this President Duncan. I think that the decisions he made, his voting record, a lot of the time were for what he thought, what he genuinely felt would be the right moral step for America. I think he thought through his decisions a lot, and I think he was a respectable man. And whether that's an accurate depiction of John McCain or not, that's my view of him, and that's what I'm kind of imparting on this President Duncan. Um, 
he's he's seen as weak because he's compassionate because he doesn't want to use force he doesn't want to use violent war methods if diplomacy can be achieved first and it stems from the fact that he was a pow and he doesn't want to send more young people to experience it, the things that he has experienced um he makes a point of uh, or they make a point of writing that the president in his whole campaign did his best to steer clear of conversations about his POW experience because he didn't want that to be why he won. He, he wanted it to be about his policies and his, his council and his campaign manager really pushed the, the war hero POW kind of complex um, to get more voters, but he himself refused to exploit it. And he had never spoke or he has never spoken publicly about being a POW. And I just I think maybe it's kind of the romanticization romanticization. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had wine, um, <laughs> but maybe it's that kind of like romantic rosy eyed view of me growing up in America and under the American education system that. A POW is the ultimate respect. Someone who comes out of that, especially when they make a note in this book that when he was captured by terrorists, he refused to denounce the United States. That on a level hits me in a way that that I wasn't expecting Mm -hmm. because I speak out publicly against the United States a lot, um, as I think is right for American patriotism. But the fact that he refused under torture, it just, it's something I respect a lot. And it's its something I equate with John McCain. Um, well, isn't so, it like uh, what uh, Bush Sr. said, you know, even when America is wrong, I won't say she's wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, God damn, like McCain, I mean, yeah, I guess I get it, like. You know, he's he's sort of um, he's sort of like Clint Eastwood almost. If he if he was a POW, so like, you know, some people but... prefer, some people prefer soldiers who weren't captured. But you know. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, like McCain was captured by the Viet Cong. Yeah, who were right? Like they were right in that <laughs> oh, situation. <yeah. laughs> no, definitely agree with that. Um, but I again, I, I think it might just be this kind of inherent American bias that has been kind of imposed on me from a very young age. But um, I have a lot of respect for it. And that's what I'm coming to reading this character with, um, which, again, might be why I have such a deeper emotional kind of response to this president. Um, Our listeners don't know this, but Toby and Simon do. I cried reading this book <laughs> and I wasn't drinking wine then. It just got me emotional because it's it, it's just reading this president who is what I imagine when I think of the kind of ideal American president. Bill Clinton and James Patterson have made that for me and it's a solace and I've been genuinely enjoying turning my phone off for an hour or two and reading about this president who I can pretend is my president for those two hours. And then I turn my phone back on and I see a tweet that says, go drink bleach. And I'm like, cool. Like, <laughs> right. <back to> reality. 
You know, you shouldn't take Toby's <laughs> tweets literally. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it seems like the book is basically resistance porn, you know? It's like... Yeah. And, and, and which is um, in many ways like, like Sorkin. Um, well, yeah. It's like the West Wing. It's sort of like, you know, we have a president right now, like George Bush, who's... He's craven. He's... Uh, bit of a fool Mm -hmm. he's morally irresponsible he'll do all these things and well here you go you know i mean iraq uh, afghanistan katrina but here you go you get a chance to escape from all that you get the chance to president bartlett i don't know like um commune with what what are genuine uh, American values and, and 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 a genuine admiration for these institutions, whether it be the military, uh, the government, that that. Um, well, I do think President has. President Bartlett is a nice comparison, actually, to what yeah. we're talking about there, because it's a couple of things actually sprung to mind, Vaughn, when you were kind of first uh, elaborating on on the book and on on the the plot there. One was that um, part part of what you know made the West Wing an interesting view, at least at the time, was this idea if you were seeing a president kind of having to make certain decisions. And I, I remember at least one episode where he was having to sort of covertly take out a terrorist in a kind of illegal international way, you know, way that had to kind of be scrubbed from the records, as it were. I think it was sort of unofficially killed in a plane kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the other hand, you also talked about him going through some uh, physical um, difficulties as well. And that again plays into President Bartlett, who towards the end of his presidency on the show was basically reduced kind of to a wheelchair and was really suffering from ill health. And they actually used John Goodman as a Republican who was big and strong and powerful and really taking command. They actually sort of installed him as a sort of uh, president for a couple of episodes, essentially, to kind of take over. And it was actually, you know, the, the, the contrast was actually said out loud by president bartlett's uh, supporting figures about my god he looks so presidential compared to our sort of weak failing president as it were so it, it certainly sprung to mind there when you said about those sort of two key points of of the sort of president's uh sort of character and of the the decisions he's having to make so i i do wonder if it is a uh accumulation of maybe something from president bartlett plus you've got you know you've got your your John McCain um, allegory there with um, you know with the POW. Before you move on to the, the next part, which I know we want to talk about on social media, there is just a couple of news items around the president is missing, which I thought, Vaughn, you might be particularly interested in. Hit me with it. One, there is a pilot of a TV show, at least a pilot being made of the, t- of the president is missing. Stop. And uh, David, uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, the, you know, did you watch Selma from a few years ago? Um, yeah. Yes. So he's going to be playing the vice president in the in the pilot of the president is missing. Yes. Apparently so. Yeah. And not only that, not only do we have a president is missing uh, a TV show, which is uh, the executive producer of the show is, you know, the guy behind the Mission Impossible films. Um, that have happen- that been happening the last few years, the, the really successful ones. Apparently, he's going to be executive producer, so it's oh. apparently got some. Uh, some Wait, stuff- is that is that Brad Bird or? No, that's uh, that's the other one. Um, oh. I'll I'll find his name in a second. But the second piece of interesting news, Vaughn, mm-hmm. is. You won't have to wait too much longer for a second book by Bill Clinton and James Patterson. 
No way. The pair behind the president is missing is writing a novel about uh, kidnapping of a former president's daughter. Oh my god, I can't wait. That's like Taken 2, right? It is. <laughs> it's going to be the same thing. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. So, so this... <laughs> So this actually worked out perfectly because the announcement of the book only came out, be- oh, well, the news story only read yesterday in the Guardian. So, um, uh, oh my god, yeah. I'm so excited! I'm so happy that you waited until right now to tell me that because I'm <laughs> so excited. That's talk, amazing. Talk, talk about talk. timing. Um, so. excellent. Yeah, so <laughs> I do want to talk about that first one that you just said, though. Yeah. Um, that a a man is going to be playing the vice president. Because the vice president in this book is a woman. Interesting. I hope I've got that right. I'm pretty sure I was correct. Um, Although unless, because I know they have cast a a female in the show. So unless unless the news arch Garzreen got it wrong and she's actually going to be the vice president and David is going to be the president instead. um, I'm, I'm searching it now. Yeah, so again, this is making very interesting viewing, I'm sure. But yes, it would appear that... Uh, oh no, David... Actually, oh, David's going to play star. the... He's going to play the president, I think. And then, and then yeah, then it will be a female vice president. So that it, it is actually... So that is actually the same um, sort of chemistry as, as the book then, where it sounds like it'll be a female. Yeah. So... Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, apparently they're or they were before Corona hit. They were sort of casting around and getting the pilot up to together. It's a uh, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, McQuarrie, um, who done the Mission Impossible ones, and uh, I think he uh, uh, might won an Oscar for Usual Suspects as well back in the nineties as well. Um, hmm. So yeah, he's got to be executive producer. But it, it's interesting that um, it's not just Vaughn who has the president is missing fever. Apparently, the whole of Hollywood has it. Um, so. Uh, uh, Simon, wanted, Simon wanted to relegate uh, Oyelowo to vice president and have a woman be like secretary of state or something like that. You know? yeah. <laughs> can't have anything. Yeah. I mean, that's... no. What's well, that? I just <laughs> naturally assumed Vaughn would be president at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. You don't want. You don't want to make this decision. I'm good. This, if this book is any indicator, I'm good. I don't want it. Okay. Um. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so b- before I, we... I would love, I would love to be this president in this book. I, I do the fuck out of all of these uh, decisions <laughs> very, very quickly. <laughs> I think the most offensive thing in the book that I've heard that Toby would find offensive is probably the idea of praying to God over us, over a, over a, a tough decision. I think to- oh. Toby may pray to a more human. Uh, uh, person uh for answers i'm not sure who that would be toby who would you look for for guidance if it wasn't god jay-z maybe (laughs) (laughs) fellini 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 and (laughs) jay-z i mean uh oh hmm. someone in the white house already maybe Mm. bannon maybe Mm. bannon (laughs) (laughs) you know oh god He's not probably the first one I would have thought of, but good for you, Toby. <laughs> that's that's good. I look forward to the president is missing too. The sequel written by Toby, where it's just someone really terrible is the president. <laughs> it's like ten pages long. Just yeah. authorize every strike done. Yeah. The president doesn't go missing because he doesn't put himself on the line. Yeah. Done. <laughs> and he was the most efficient president ever. <laughs> 
Okay, Vaughn, sorry, before we interrupted you with such um, interesting news of uh, of TV shows and uh, extra books by Quentin, we were going to delve into the uh, social media side of things on, on the book, is that right? Yes, yeah, but never apologize for that interruption because no. I'm going to watch every episode of that show. <laughs> I really hope it goes beyond just the pilot, that would be quite upsetting if they only got one episode. Oh, I would I would be miserable, I would sulk for, <laughs> for months. Okay. Um, so this, this second part is about social media. Um, so I'm, I want to read you a passage about specifically how social media affects the climate, uh, the political climate in the book. Um, and as I said earlier, the video from the terrorists went viral and the media swarmed the, the woman claiming the life of her son being killed in the video. They exploited her with interview after interview and this emotional airtime just constantly getting her tears on camera. And the the speaker pressing the president with the investigations and impending impeachment, he leans on the support of his caucus, um, who have just been very easily swayed by their voters, and their voters are reacting to media and these social pressures um, around the the attack and the leaked news and all of that. So this passage that I'm about to read, it's a bit longer, but it really like leaps out of the book as a condemnation of the real world, of our world. Um, And it reads like this. I stare at the door after Speaker Rhodes leaves. I'm not sure what I expected of him. Old fashioned patriotism, a sense of responsibility, maybe? A bit of trust in the president? Dream on. There is no trust anymore. In the current environment, there's no gain in it. All the incentives push people in the opposite directions. So Rhodes will go to his corner, leading a charge he can't really control because his caucus twitches at each tweet. Some days, my side isn't much better. Participation in our democracy seems to be driven by the instant gratification worlds of Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, and the 24-hour news cycle. We're using modern technology to revert to primitive kinds of human relations. The media knows, knows what sells, conflict and division. It's also quick and easy. All too often, anger works better than answers, resentment better than reason, emotion trumps evidence. A sanctimonious sneering one-liner, no matter how bogus, is seen as straight talk, while a calm, well-argued response is seen as canned and phony. It reminds me of the old political joke. Why do you take such an instant dislike to people? It saves a lot of time. What happened to factual, down-the-middle reporting? That's hard to even define anymore, as the line between fact and fiction, between truth and lies, gets murkier every day. We can't survive without a free press, dedicated to preserving that fine line and secure enough to follow the facts where they lead. But the current environment imposes serious pressures on our journalists, at least those who cover politics, to do just the reverse, to exercise their own power and to, in the words of one wise columnist, abnormalize all politicians, even honest, able ones, often because of relatively insignificant issues. Scholars call this false equivalency. It means that when you find a mountain to expose in one person or party, 
you have to make have to pick a molehill on the other side and make it into a mountain to avoid being accused of bias. The built-up molehills also have large benefits. Increased coverage on the evening news, millions of retweets, and more talk show fodder. When the mountains and molehills all look the same, campaigns and governments devote too little time and energy debating the issues that matter most to our people. Even when we try to do that, we're often drowned out by the passion of the day. There's a real cost to this. It breeds more frustration, polarization, paralysis, bad decisions, and missed opportunities. But with no incentive to actually accomplish something, more and more politicians just go with the flow, fanning the flames of anger and resentment when they should be acting as the fire brigade. Everybody knows it's wrong, but the immediate rewards are so great we stagger on, just assuming that our constitution, our public institutions, and the rule of law can endure each new assault without doing permanent damage to our freedoms and our way of life. I ran for president to change that vis vicious cycle. I hope I still can, but right now I have to deal with the wolf at the door, which is kind of a cheeky ending to that passage. But I think it's, a, it's just really powerful and it's a necessary critique of the world, especially that of politics. Um, and I just, do you have any thoughts on that passage there? I mean, what sprang out to me was the, the idea that the media abnormalizes um, politicians, even sort of ones with good intentions or ones that are just normal guys. I mean, that's really interesting um, because I, I mean, me and Simon have always thought about doing a podcast on Cronkite, but there's a sense in which the the the, the sort of storied and quite um, uh, I would say long form and uh, studied anchor and and um, way a of measured voice a me measured voice and, and a way of inter uh, of communicating between the politicians and the the figures in the press has has really changed and changed purposefully because of because the republicans and to to an extent because politics have become much more um showbiz um and what it meant is that the people the politicians have become characters you know some of them who aren't characters i mean like people like lindsey graham are characters obviously trump's a character but like people like um ted cruz to an extent you know he's been he's been hobgoblinized by by the media and by the other side as well but he you know he's there's all these lies about him there's um you know the, the people talk about his face a lot and stuff like that and, and he and he becomes much less of a of a full person with a with a particular set of po policy ideals he just becomes a sort of he's like a blobby painting it just makes you feel something. It just makes you feel. It either makes you feel resentful or or angry or or, or makes you feel angry at the other side. So yeah, yeah, that's it's it's uh yeah I, I get exactly what um Clinton and is is saying in that passage. I think it's exactly what's what's happened. Von, what would you? Is there a is there a kind of strong 
singular narrative for this kind of thing throughout the book? Is is there a critique? I mean, I know you've only read a quarter. Is is there anything kind of jumps out at you as far as being like the message of the book or the message on this particular type of thing that the, the book or Bill Clinton um, are trying to get across? Um, I think there are going to be many messages, but the most pressing kind of one is that partisan politics don't work. Right. And they especially don't work when we have a 24-hour news cycle and mm-hmm. when we have the media running towards this kind of conflict and division narrative, um, when they exploit the the fears and fan the flames um, in the voting base, it encourages politicians to react to those flames and either make them higher or try to pretend that they don't exist. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I really love that passage. I read it over a couple times when I read it the first time because it's, it's just so accurate to all of this or to, to all of the world around us. Like the, the, politics- I would say that the difficulty um, and not to cut you off there, Vaughn, but the difficulty with the factual down the middle reporting is that, you know, I mean, sometimes the stories aren't down the middle. I mean, it's important yeah. that the reporters report the facts. And obviously some reporters are going to have their own opinions on, on it. But I think as, as institutions, whether it's um, CNN or ABC, and to a lesser extent, MSNBC, I mean, they have a mix of uh, different reporters. Right. But they've tried to, to see themselves as moderators of... I, 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 not, not, that's so in the Trump era. It's funny, in the Trump era, it, they, they are clearly, like, you know, attachments of the, the Democratic Party in, in, many, in many ways because, you know, I mean, all of these people are aghast at the way the president is, is, is acting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Pelosi does get, you know, good coverage when she goes on, on M- 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 SNBC. But in the period before that, you know, in the in the Ryan period, in the, the, the period with Speaker Boehner, Mm. They, they. I think they, they brought the, those those Republicans on, even when they weren't, even when the, the 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 stories weren't, you know, down the middle, and they tried to make it out like it was down the middle. I think I think the BBC is, you know, at fault for this as well. It, yeah. It's a sort of, yeah. um, they they tr- I mean, they they tried purposefully to to try try to make it like this two different sides and, and and they say they just present the two different sides and don't necessarily well, that's my, you know that's nail my... down that so i i think so i mean in terms of the critique of uh politics because, because entertainment I, I definitely agree but in terms of the media not you know trying to make the two sides seem reasonable i think the media have tried that they haven't they haven't done it in the in the period since populism has arisen since 2016 they haven't but before that i think they were doing that yeah i I think i disagree with you on that actually like like the point that he's that he's saying is like when there's a mountain on one side when there's the impeachment of donald trump on one side Mm. 
mm-hmm. which was after this book was written. But when you have that on the Republican side, the media tries to find something that they can allege is of equal strength on the Democratic side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think like, that is... Like uh, Benghazi, for, for example, you know, or... Exactly. Clinton's, this is why Clinton's we're still emails. emails. This is exactly yeah, yeah. why the emails keep coming up, is because they need something that can that can equate to what the Republicans are doing. Um, I just, and, yeah, and certainly, I, I think that follows on from where he says, you know, like the media isn't exercising its power enough, mm-hmm. um, which is definitely in line with what you're saying. But in terms of factual down down the middle reporting, I, um, for me, the biggest issue is yeah, I don't think Toby. they 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 were <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, I think they were doing that uh, factual down the middle reporting. For me, the hardest thing to kind of watch on over the last few years, maybe it's, I, I don't know if it's any, anything more over the last few years than it was before that, but th- there does seem an increased sense of we'll report what they say rather than what the actual facts of the story are. So, yes. you know, as an extreme example, it'd be like Trump says, you know, Mexicans are race, race, rapists or that, you know... Um, I don't know, the sky is now purple and everyone's green. And they'll say, you know, Trump says everyone's green rather than humans are not green and Trump tells a lie. You know, it, it's it's yeah. it, rather than us reporting on the facts and then as an aside saying, oh, by the way, the president lied about this or the president wrong about this. It's kind of voicing that opinion as the lead story, as the thing. So what we actually hear is Mexicans are rapists and they're coming to steal our jobs, says Trump. Rather right. than rather than lunatic Trump goes on mad racist rant uh, is ignored by anyone sensible and then you know doesn't include the facts that um, you know what he actually said as as the banner headline and to me it comes down to you know it's it's like when we had the Brexit stuff prior to the referendum. And, you know, everywhere, you know, you saw the reporting of, like, the the stuff they put inside of buses where it's, like, an extra £200 million a, a week will go towards our NHS that isn't going to the, uh, isn't going to that blasted EU. And then after the referendum, they're going, yeah, we didn't quite get that number correct, but, you know, it was kind of there in spirit. And right. you go, no, that, that was a blatant lie, and the media happily told that story. And, you know, I think the BBC are a prime example of giving voice to people like Nigel Farage for the last 15 years. And mm-hmm. rather rather than actually reporting the news and having some sort of decency about these things, it has been far too easy to simply to say, well, we've got to kind of report both sides of this story. When really, that's not your job. Your job should be trying to report the news in a factual way rather than trying to balance this left and right argument which needs to be going on at all times because right. we've we've essentially turned politics into sports talk radio where it's you know skip skip bayless and stephen a smith arguing each other over lebron james that's kind of how we've got, <laughs> that's kind of what we've got with politics now or maybe always has been but it's certainly been pushed ever further towards that and i think it's a very dangerous game that we continue to we rely on democracy as kind of the fallback as, you know, well, if people do bad things, then we'll vote them out. But the problem is you see it like in England, for instance, if the press is completely with 
the Tory party and particularly with um, people like Bojo, like Boris Johnson, they can get away with doing things because the media can portray their actions uh, as the correct actions and therefore that will be tolerated by the public and it will be represented in the voting booths. Whereas if that wasn't the case, we could actually fall back on democracy to go, uh, okay, we'll vote these people out because they did bad things. And I'm not confident at all that, you know, the American electorate will, well, maybe the American electorate will now after something like a pandemic, which Trump has handed, handled so badly. But, mm. you know, I mean, if, if people are getting their news from Fox News, you know, or or in England they're getting it from the Sun or from the BBC, you know, maybe maybe they're not going to get the full picture and we're not actually going to have democracy to save us, as it were. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway, no, absolutely. That was a nice cheery way to uh, to round off there. Um, <laughs> well, we're, uh, yeah, so democracy's failed us and Toby's in charge now, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, finally, finally, Toby. Was it? Yeah. Jay-Z. Did you? <laughs> With some help from uh, Jay-Z. Well, Toby, while you think about what your first policies are going to be, and we all think about how our lives are going to change as a result, <laughs> um, we're coming up to sort of the hour now. Vaughn, is there anything you'd like to kind of round off on the book before we m- move on to the final section of the show? I know you're only a quarter of the way in, so it's maybe a little bit unfair. I do have one final question for you. But I'll save that uh, once you've uh, given any final thoughts on the book. Um, I I think we've talked about most of the things that I wanted to talk about, actually. Okay. Um, this definitely went way longer than I thought it would, too. Yeah, so, same. I'm happy you guys are enjoying the book as much as I am. We're, we're not only enjoying the book, we're enjoying how much you're wanting to talk about it, I think. <laughs> so for me, you know, I, I don't think we would have got as much out of it as if I'd read the book. Uh, mainly because I'm illiterate, but um, no, uh, I think uh, I think for myself, and the book wouldn't have got a fair hearing at all if I had read it. So. No, <laughs> <laughs> Toby would got definitely... emotional about it. Yes, I got invested. It's the one rule you shouldn't do it. Anyway, sorry. What were your questions? So my final question was well, my final unless you got any Toby, my, my my final question would be: Would Mitt Romney endorse this president? Would Mitt Romney endorse this president? President Jonathan Lincoln Duncan. I believe that he would. I mean, and it is the party of Lincoln, after all. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm, I'm basing that largely on his name. And also yep. the fact that he prayed to God when he had to made a, make a decision, a moral decision. Um, yep. He's brought up God. And we know Obama God. prays to Satan, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> Everybody knows that, right? Um, <laughs> but no, I think Mitt. I think Mitt would endorse this president. I do think he would. Excellent. Well, I mean, if if he's good enough for Mitt, he's good enough for myself and Toby. Uh, so <laughs> speak for yourself, son. <laughs> uh, okay, I will speak for myself only in that one. Then T- Toby's still got the jury out. Um, okay. So we're, we're coming up to an hour now. We have gone longer on this, but I'm kind of delighted that we have because I, I found it really interesting. Probably just a couple of final things to touch on just briefly then, I guess, before we, we end the show with uh, Amy Klobuchar. I think that's possibly how you pronounce her name. Is, is apparently getting... Clobes. 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 The Clobe. 
the, the club. Biden can't pronounce the name anymore. You don't have to. Biden can't say most. <laughs> Biden can't say most words at this stage. Uh, so uh, anyway, <laughs> so we we we've got the news that apparently she's been vetted for VP. It has not gone down well amongst the far left to see her as a very centralist and divisive figure. Do either of you guys have a strong opinion or know much about or care in the slightest about the club? Well, I was in a, I was in a, uh, a, po- a parliamentary office, but it was uh, the const- uh, it was the office in the area, so it wasn't in parliament. And they were blasting this um, economist podcast about Klobuchar, and it was a very like moderate office, and it was and it was just about how Klobuchar's moderate and, and talking about her moderate policies on um, healthcare and and things like that, and it's, it just made me angry. Like I was just <laughs> getting angry as I don't know that much about her. But every time I've had to, you know, think about her for, you know, a few seconds, I've just, uh, <laughs> rage. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I mean, I, I mean, in terms of, is it good strategically? I mean, I, I'm not necessarily sure what Biden has to do with this VP pick, like, you know, I mean, is it the best way to get the sort of the 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 midwestern vote? I thought might... that's why we chose Biden. I thought the yeah, I mean, yeah, Biden. so that's that's why we chose Biden because <laughs> I mean, Biden's the one who was able to bring that well, uh, sort of white working class and uh, yeah. sort of uh, lower middle class and the the black vote together in a coalition. He's like he's like. Um, He's like the, what they said Robert Kennedy would be, you know. He's he's basically done well, the impossible. <laughs> so I don't, so I don't necessarily know why we need her. You mean like, just life in general? I feel <laughs> yeah. that the the VP pick should be the best person who brings the coalition, the Democratic coalition, together because we 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 have Biden, we have the 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 president who's sort of vaguely in the middle, who has a record of moderation that stretches back to, you know, things like the crime bill, things like busing, mm-hmm. um, things like um, bankruptcy, issues like that. Like, you know, if you are a suburban um, Republican woman, then I think th- this is the best, apart from Klobuchar herself, this is the best uh, Democratic candidate that you're you're ever gonna get, you know. I mean, mm. and so yeah, I I I don't know necessarily you know why we need her. For me, he should be shoring up the the Democratic coalition, and you know, the best way to do that, and for the leftists to not have a say in the process is just to to have a, a black candidate. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit confused by this. Vaughn, any thoughts? Um. I also get angry when I see her. <laughs> I she she just she's I don't know. I I don't I don't enjoy her as a politician. Um I see her as conceding on a lot of issues 
kind of to be liked, um, to be allegedly, quote unquote, electable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why she is being vetted is because she she takes a middle platform so that either side could help could pick her. Um, I think that this is something of interest for me, though, um, because, I mean, if we're being real, the the odds don't look great that Biden's going to be president for four years, you know? He could go missing. He could go missing. And then Amy <laughs> Klobuchar would be the president, and she would be the first female president. Yep. And I think as wow. someone mm-hmm. who needs to be in that position what he's he has already alleged or uh, promised whatever that he's going to have a female vice president i think he can do way better um than amy klobuchar than the clobe the clobe <laughs> the clobe president it's clobe in time it's clobber in time yeah i i don't but have as, like, po- as the many first positive things to say as the first female president, sorry to talk over you, Simon, yeah. but I, I wouldn't vote for her. I didn't vote for her in the primary. Yep. I mean, she's already dropped out, but I wouldn't have anyway. So it, I, I think with this one, with, with Biden's VP pick, we are choosing, and more than any other election, who is going to succeed the president. And yep. I think... One, it would be a cop out if she's the first woman president by default. Yeah. <laughs> Two, I don't think that she should be the first woman president. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy or proud of that fact. I think it's kind of in a way like I'm very hesitant to say this because I'm very aware I'm American, but in a way I'm thinking about it as Thatcher. That I don't want Amy Klobuchar to be my first female president. But I mean, Thatcher was very, very impressive. I mean, like, not, not only she was she like staunchly ideological, she was also cool. Like, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I just can't. I just yeah, like Klobuchar doesn't seem that impressive, and I don't I know. I mean, I know like journalists like Jennifer Rubin like her but she's just boring she's a boring person like and i don't know yeah um yeah i don't like it she isn't because there are figures within like even i mean even some moderate figures i mean like kamala harris like she's won almost all of the races that she's been in in california mm-hmm. she she's well liked i mean i mean i know me and the you i mean you simon and then simon bracy lane were, were sort of cooing about her when we originally said oh who's gonna um, mm-hmm. you know, win the election or who can bring the... yeah but, like, even, I mean... even beyond her history just in you know there are some things to do with her her record with um, prosecutions etc yeah yeah her prosecutorial records one, um, you yeah. can put to one side but just as as a sort of overall quote-unquote impressive figure i think you get a much more you get much more of that sense from kamal harris than you do from you know the club um, which is the only way I will refer to her from now on, I have to say. Well, like, so, someone with charisma, someone who also is a moderate, someone who... The, who the way I like to think of it is, 
if she kind of stumbled into being the first female president, it'd be kind of like if the first black president was Herman Cain. You know, you would just be kind of like, <laughs> you, you'd just be really disappointed, you know? Exactly. At least I... Obama brought a sense of cool, at least to begin with, you know? Like, imagine if Herman Cain had just, like, stumbled his way to becoming president. You know, it's not what you want. Yeah, Yeah, like, Obama seems like he was made in a lab almost. Like, he was yeah. Like perfect. Yeah. I mean, Klobuchar, she's just, just not, she's a normal person. I mean, that's... The, the, only, <laughs> the only one thing I do like is every time you say her name, Toby, it sounds more and more like you're saying Gorbachev. <laughs> I'm just imagining <laughs> Gorbachev. As vice president, and I'm just that—that that is something I can get behind. Oh, oh no, Simon! Oh no, I, I hate Gorbachev a lot more than I hate. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, is, is, he, is he still alive? That Gorbachev? I don't. I, <laughs> I think he's, he might still be alive. All, all of all the spies we sent to you know finish him have not you know. <laughs> uh, Gorbachev is apparently uh, still alive, eighty nine yeah, years old. Uh, I think. Oh yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, and he did appear in an episode of The Simpsons. Well, not officially, but like unofficially. So that's pretty good. Uh, right. Anything else to add to? the Herman Cain of female politicians, or shall we move oh, on whoa, to... Whoa. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what a title. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was maybe harsh. Female was, Herman Cain. <laughs> that was maybe harsh on Herman Cain. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess in true spirit of Impressions of America, we should probably finish where we kind of start, start every other conversation, and that is Trump. Um, mm. Trump's had a, I don't know, relatively good week. I mean, he doesn't, he's, what? I mean, well, I mean, for Trump, I mean, he, he's terrible and he does terrible things, but he's still mm. like technically alive and he's still <laughs> loved by his base. So, you know, Check it's, mark. you know, for, I, I think, I think for Trump, that's pretty good going. You know, he's every day there are new photos of him where it's quite clear he doesn't know how to stand. You know, I mean, there are just, things about him which doesn't appear human uh he apparently has like lifts in his shoes in order to like keep his arches up or something like you know it's just, it's just lots of things that are generally wrong with trump but some i suppose some of the news stories we've had even just the last few hours or the last sort of 40 hours one is that if there's a second wave trump is apparently not going to um close america again which is probably going to play right to his base who probably don't they probably don't really see any kind of impact of a second wave so th that's something We've got Trump visiting the Ford uh, production line, wearing a mask, sort of, when photos aren't getting taken, but as soon as he's in front of the press, he's mask off and playing to his base and talking about what a good bloodline it is of Henry Ford, which is just a whole topic in itself. Um, and, of course, vote, uh, talking about one honour it is and uh, a privilege to vote rather than it being some sort of constitutional right. Is there anything we want to briefly touch on Trump at this point, or are we just kind of sick and tired of it? Toby, you love Trump. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, like on the opening up uh, or closing up again, it, it's going to be difficult, I think, because I mean, every single whether it's the Fox News hosts, mm -hmm. even 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 Tucker Carlson, who you know, who's who's, who's kind of heterodox in some ways, has been trying to 
make sure that the lockdown is um, completely removed. I mean, they've been, they've been doing that since the beginning. The radio hosts, um, Rush and um, other people like that, are, are even worse. They 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 hate the fact that the the wonks and the experts are in control of society, and it's and they find it you know uh, a little disgusting that people are so scared of the odd chance that they you know that they them or their the elderly people in their their lives would die and things like that so yeah i mean i think there's 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 a low chance that tr- the trump would would close up again i think what might may well happen is the it's going to be a policy of you know of uh, painful austerity in the, in this respect and and um People will die because of it. Yeah, that I think it's. Uh, I think it's. It's the most possible outcome. Vaughn, uh, as an American and as an American who is keen for people to vote, what are your thoughts when you hear Trump talking about the right to vote being a privilege? I think that it just strengthens the kind of hypothesis I have that Trump has never picked up the Constitution. Like I don't think he's ever read it. I don't think I, he knows what the Bill of Rights is, you know? You don't think he's read, like, the, the Federalist Papers <laughs> and things like that and poured I, over them? In fact, he hasn't read the Federalist Papers. I don't need any supporting <laughs> evidence to know that he's never done that. I, I, like, I, don't, I don't think he's read anything longer than a menu. I don't think that's really I, something that Trump would pride himself on, you know, being an egghead. You know, you, you talk about, you he, hear about these things where he needs to be briefed in as short a time scale as possible. I mean, he gets his briefings from Fox News. You know, he is, he is yeah. a classic, you know, 280 characters. You know, he, he gets his no- stories from Twitter and then he delivers his message on Twitter. You know, he is a, he is the classic short attention span president. Yeah. He he said something, I think yesterday or two days ago, in Virginia, um, that the the politicians in Virginia are trying to take away the Second Amendment, and they're stopping you from guarding your potatoes. <laughs> Which, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what, what does that mean? That, wow. Just geographically, that doesn't make sense. He doesn't even understand the United States. Nope geographically let alone ever picking up the constitution reading the amendments and understanding what they mean it just saying voting is a privilege is just i mean our last episode we talked about the civil rights movement and how in the south voting was a privilege and it was kept away from black communities as much as possible. And it still is today. Uh, there, it, it's, it is seen as a privilege in these kind of pressurized communities um, where they, they suppress voters. Yep. And yeah. it, it just enrages me that that's already a thing. And then the president affirmed it. On yeah, I think uh, scale. Yeah, Vaughn, I think you're exactly right. And I think it's it's rare that the Republicans actually come out and say that you know voting is a privilege or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it it's I think it's endemic to that kind of politics, and there's always been. I mean, I think it's, I think the shit goes back to Hamilton and the the, the forges of the Constitution and 
even people who've constructed democracies all over the world is like they want a certain kind of person to have the franchise because that means that people will be less dependent on government i mean that just that's just conservative that's part of conservative politics has always been part of conservative politics it's it's also so easier you, you, to just play to one community that has the power than it is to under to try and benefit all of the communities that are within the u.s yeah i mean yeah yeah, yeah. The, the good news but is one thing that trump is good at have you seen that tweet that he had with um i think it was a movie i'm not sure which movie it was but it was um a guy he was going up on a truck and all of these guys probably at the end of the movie and all these guys were coming together to listen to this stump speech that he was saying something about you know oh independence uh, day independence, independence day. day yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And then you had all the heads of the, yes, and it wasn't just it wasn't like I mean McConnell might have been there and uh, people from the caucus, but it was all like it was and, and there were some politicians in there, but there was a lot of TV people in there as well. Yeah. Yeah? It was just like it was crazy, it's incredible, it and it's and it's good as well. Like it's viscerally like I can imagine being a Republican and being like yes. <laughs> that's it i mean that's i mean it goes back to the president is missing i mean it's it's, it's the yeah the abnormal uh politicians the the, the sort of hobgoblinization of uh politics the, the good news is though since we have a republican as the president if individual states do want to kind of push forward with you know mail 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 in voting postal voting we can trust the Republicans to trust states' rights, you know, to make mm. their own decisions. So, you know, we, we know they fought a war over that. So um, we should oh. be uh, we should be uh, fully expecting Trump to get behind individual states to make decisions correctly rather than needing a, a central government to make it for them. So I'm sure that will happen. Um, right, okay. That hurts, that hurts Simon. <laughs> Just hearing <laughs> you say that. <laughs> it really cuts deep. Really cuts deep, okay. Well, I'm, I'm sure if President Duncan were here. Was it Duncan? What was it? Was Duncan, it? yes. Yeah, he, he would be making the right decision. I wonder how he would do with the coronavirus. He... That's a great question, actually. Oh, that's something I'm going to think about for oh. the next time we talk about this book. Excellent. That's a really great question. Well, I'm, sure, mean... I'm sure honest Abe Duncan would, would do the right thing. <laughs> Yes, mm. quite right. You can also think about any other president would uh, deal with the coronavirus as well, by all means. Um, you know. Well, I mean, President Mitt Romney in the alternate <laughs> universe, um, he would be dealing with this expertly, you know. Oh, God, if Romney had won in 2012, he would have had, Jesus, he'd still be, this would be coming towards the end of his presidency, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. it would. Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, had he been reelected, but I mean, I mean, we can say with certainty he would have been. Once you go mitt, you don't go back. Yep, um, that, that's what they say. That's 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 what I hear. I'm not sure about that, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> these these counterfactuals. I mean, uh... Uh, okay. Well, I I can't argue with Toby when it comes to making up facts. So. I <laughs> Uh, I think we should probably end the episode there. Um, 
guys, this has been really fun. I really enjoyed talking about The President is Missing and also about the book that Vaughn's been reading. Thank you. Um, <laughs> see what I did there with the Trump. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been really good, though, Vaughn, to to actually hear your, your thoughts on the book and to uh, find out that, kind of shockingly, you're enjoying it, which I honestly didn't think that would be the case. I thought it would be one of those sort of hate reads that you just kind of, like, guilt your way through, but, yeah. yeah. I, I thought I was really going to be like like that kind of like viscerally angry that you still want to read it, you know? Where yeah. you're just like, I can't yeah, believe it's this just, is happening. It's just like when I read Atlas Shrug. Like I thought <laughs> I was like like it ironically, but then like I just sort of like rattle through it lovingly, you know, and it I, just yeah, it's pretty an pretty an experience. Now, now you're an intern for Paul Ryan, so it's really worked out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Simon, if I can jump in before we close. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to throw out a shout out, a reminder to all yeah. of the Americans who may be listening. Um, at least in Pennsylvania, my home state, our primary ballots are due by the 2nd of June. Um, so if you have an absentee ballot, with ho- which hopefully you do, make sure you send it out ASAP. Um, and that goes for, for every state who still has a primary open. Make sure you apply for your absentee, fill it out, send it back, and get it in before the deadline. Absolutely. Well said. And if you're not sure who to vote for, just write in Herman Cain. That will count. So. Yeah. Yeah. They'll know it means the clove. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, I I don't think there's anything more to add uh, now that we've uh, given a shout out to Herman Cain in the uh, the election. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, from from Vaughn, Toby, uh, Herman Cain, and myself, uh, thank you very much for listening. We will have another episode in the near future. Uh, take care, and uh, we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. <laughs>